Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. We've got Pastor Doug Valero going to preach this morning, so let's just welcome him as he comes. Thank you, Pastor Pete. You can all stay standing for the rest of the sermon. Make sure you're awake. No, you can sit. Good to see you all here this morning. We, uh, as, uh, as you know, we're in the middle of a series on prayer. We've been looking at the War Room, uh, which is the, uh, the movie on prayer in our life groups. And, uh, and we've had a lot of really good feedback from people saying that that, uh, as a series, has really helped them and enriched them and focused them uh, again on prayer. And, uh, and of course, as we uh, are preaching on Sunday mornings about prayer as well. So uh, normally... When I preach, I'll be, uh, I'll be in prayer and I'll be asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to say? Well, was, <clears throat> this time around, I was actually given the subject, prayer. And, uh, and so that, that normally isn't the way that things go because uh, we're usually free to preach what we want to preach and how we feel God's leading. So I was asking the Lord, I say, God, what, what can I say about prayer that hasn't already been said and, uh, and what's going to be said because we're still right in the middle of this series? And, um, and it's been really good, actually, because as I've been before the Lord, uh, prayerfully uh, coming towards this morning, the Lord's really changed my whole uh, sort of mind around about prayer and brought me back to the centrality, really, of what prayer is. Because in my own experience, you know, as a, as a pastor, as a minister, you know, we spend a lot of time praying for people. We spend a lot of time praying for the city. We spend a lot of time praying for you as a congregation and about what God's doing in the church. And so sort of my focus in my prayer life over sort of recent times has really been about prayer for others. And, uh, and, and what I've found is as God's brought me back to the centrality of prayer is I've found a great liberty and a great freedom and a great peace has come to me again, fresh and new, uh, as I've been studying about prayer, getting ready for this morning. Now, prayer, the centrality of prayer, is, is about having communion with God. That is what prayer is all about. The, the largest part of prayer is about you coming before the Lord into his presence and communing with him. And that's really the heart of what prayer is. It isn't so much about that we pray for people and pray for things and we pray for our city. Those are all aspects of prayer, facets of prayer, which are absolutely necessary. But the actual heart of prayer itself is intimacy with God. So what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to take you on a bit of a journey in prayer. And we're going to have a look at three aspects of prayer and how prayer affects us and how we sort of develop in our prayer life. So uh, the title of my message this morning is From Presence to Position to Power, A Journey in Prayer. So we'll start off with the presence. So as I've already said, the heart of prayer itself is actually intimacy. It's intimacy with God. And as a church, you know, we value the presence of God. Um, you know, we value the presence of God in our worship service. We value the presence of God in our personal time. And prayer is that place where we go to. Sometimes in, our, in the privacy of our own home where there's no other distractions and we come to that place of communion with God and intimacy with God. Because prayer is less of a duty 
less of a duty. Um, this is a quote from, uh, from somebody. Prayer is sustained less by duty than by a desire to connect and grow in intimacy and communion with God. So what are we doing when we pray? It is a desire. It's, it's part of what's in, right in the deepest part of our spirit. Is Our greatest desire is to have intimacy with our Heavenly Father. Is to come before Him in His presence. You know, when we first become Christians, you know, we often, you know, when we first do this, we don't really know very much about the God that we're choosing to follow. We don't really know enough about His character or really about uh, much at all, but, but we've sensed this stirring somewhere really quite deep inside. And we're not really sure where it comes from or what it is, but, but there is a, a sense and a feeling that, that, you know, this presence that we're experiencing, whether you've come to a meeting, whether you've experienced something about the presence of God in a corporate uh, worship environment like this, or whether you've been reading the Word of God or you've been speaking with a friend, something about the message... Something about the gospel, something about this Jesus that you've been hearing about begins to stir something deep inside of you. And there's a longing that begins to rise. There's a longing, and as that longing begins to rise, and as we focus on that, we realize that there's something really essentially missing in our life. And so our spirit, whether we know it or not, begins to rise up and begins to cry out to God. And the Holy Spirit, who's the one that gives us the faith to believe, The Holy Spirit is the one that leads us to Christ and gives us the faith to believe, begins to take that drawing, take that sense of yearning, that that something that's drawing us and begins to form that into words. And the Holy Spirit begins to pray with our spirit. In, uh, In Romans 8, verses 26 to 27. We got it up there, there we go. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't, know, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays with us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads with us believers in harmony with God's own will. So the deepest, deepest primal urges that we have in our spirit, these groanings, these things that maybe we we can't even express into words. These are what our spirit is longing to be reconnected with God, reconnected with our Father. And that's what we experience when we first come to know Him. And as we develop in our Christian life, as we go on this journey of the Christian life, that hunger, that desire, that drawing begins to grow and begins to grow. And we continue to come into his presence through prayer primarily and commune with God, talk to him. Jesus himself demonstrated this life of prayer. You know, we read uh, and challengingly read that Jesus rose quite early, very early in the morning, well before dawn, and he would go off somewhere in private and he would go and pray. He would go and pray and be with his father. Now, there was nothing new in all of this because the Jews always prayed. You know, prayer has been, been around since as long as man has been around. So there was nothing different in what Jesus was actually doing. But there was something different about how Jesus prayed. And there was something different about the quality of Jesus' prayer that the disciples, when they followed him, saw that, you know what, 
Jesus doesn't actually pray the way that we have been taught how to pray. And he doesn't pray the way that the Pharisees pray or the scribes pray or the priests pray. There's something different about the quality of Jesus' prayer. And that's why the disciples asked Jesus and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. How do we do this? How do we get that same kind of intimacy that you seem to have, that same kind of authority in prayer that you seem to have? Because when you pray, things happen. It comes out of our intimacy that we have with God. See, Jesus went away frequently and would spend times alone with his Father. And it was in that time in that intimate time that he spent with God, that when he came back away from that place of intimacy, back into life and ministering to people and being involved in, the, in people's everyday lives, it was from that source of intimacy that Jesus began to minister out of. Because in that time of intimacy, he knew who God was. He knew who he was. He knew what his mission was. And he knew what he was there for. And that strength was being drawn out of that place of fellowship with God, being in his presence, being in his presence. And that's primary, really, to the Christian life, is really that we come into the presence of God, and we do that through prayer, because we can do it through prayer at any time. You know, when we worship together, right, we come on a Sunday morning, we worship together, or if we do it at Life Group, we come together, there's a corporate experience in in worship, and in that, we sense the presence of God together, and we can pray together as a church, and in that prayer, we can experience the presence of God, but the thing about prayer is that prayer goes everywhere I go, and it doesn't matter where I am, whether I'm here or whether I'm in church, whether I'm at work, whether I'm out shopping, whether I'm traveling in the car, prayer goes with me, and I can pray to God anytime I like. In fact, I can be in the middle of a meeting with lots of people talking and things like that. And inwardly, I can be in prayer. I can be in presence with God and drawing upon that strength, drawing upon that presence, drawing upon that intimacy with God, no matter where I am and no matter what I'm doing. So prayer is really primary in our journey uh, with God. Jesus said, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you and I are, uh, you are in me and I am in the Father and I am in you, and that they may be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. That's from John 17. Jesus praying to the Father. What is he saying? Not only just to those who are with him, but for you and me, for you and me. Jesus was looking forward and he says, the thing that I want more than anything else, Father, is that we have that same depth of intimacy that you and I have, Father. And that's what Jesus prayed for us because it's absolutely crucial. Crucial for the Christian life. Crucial for our spiritual life. Richard Foster, he's, uh, he's a guy that's um, written a few books and spends a lot of time teaching the church about spiritual disciplines and he says this about prayer it is the discipline of prayer that brings us into the deepest and the highest work of the human spirit the deepest and the highest work 
of the human spirit. Why? Because it brings us into the very presence of God. It brings us into intimate relationship with God. And what can be higher than that? That we encounter and we commune with our Father in heaven. Now, I've uh, gone through some of the books on my shelf and, uh, and I've had a look and, and seen, just been having a look as I've been studying and preparing for this about all the different kinds of prayer that there are. Now, Christians over the centuries have looked at prayer and they've studied prayer and there's all sorts of disciplines which have grown up uh, around prayer. And uh, I've found just a short list, just in what I have, of 18 now, these aren't different types of prayer, all right? These are disciplines of prayer. These are, these are just things that you do in the privacy of your own home just to get connection with God and intimacy with God. Eighteen of them. And that's a short list. And there's not, that's not an exhaustive list by any stretch. So there's a lot of things that we do as Christians in order to become intimate with God, but prayer is central to them all. One of, the, uh, one of these disciplines, because I practice them every now and again, uh, one of these disciplines is, uh, is listening prayer. And listening prayer is an interesting one because it's one where you don't actually say anything at all, which is contrary to what most of us think prayer is. You know, when we t- think about prayer, we think we've got to be talking to God about something. Whereas listening prayer actually isn't about talking to God about anything at all. It is what it says it is. It's listening to God. Because what you do in listening prayer, you see, is you come and you sit before God and you become aware of his presence and you just listen. Listen to what he's got to say or listen to what he's not got to say. And I found that personally, that has been some of the most exhilarating times in my personal prayer life with the Lord because I have literally been on the edge of my seat listening, waiting, anticipating what he's going to say. I, I can't explain that. It's something that you have to experience. But as I'm sitting and I'm listening, and I'm thinking, God, you're going to speak to me. You're really going to actually speak to me, and I'm going to hear your voice. And I was on the edge of my seat, absolutely exhilarated. Now, that's an exciting journey in prayer. There was another time um, something similar happened when uh, we had a men's prayer meeting. As going back a few years, we used to... Um, there was a group of us men used to go and meet at Alan Pod's house. Some of you will remember Alan. And we used to go and we used to have a prayer meeting around his place. And one of these days, we got together and we would pray as the Spirit led. So we would go, we would have no agenda. But uh, as we began to pray, the Holy Spirit would start to speak to us and we would begin to pray into these things. Sometimes we'd pray for each other. Sometimes we would pray for our city uh, or, or anything else really, which, which you know, any one of us you know, the Spirit would just lead us into. And this one time, we, uh, we got together and we started the meeting. And for an hour and a half, we all sat in silence. We said absolutely nothing. And that evening really taught us a lot about what it is to be led by the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit never said anything. And we didn't feel the need to fill the gap of silence. We just sat listening to what God might say and how he might lead us. And that 
It was an interesting, interesting evening. So there's lots of, lots of aspects of prayer, but the, the, primary, the primary purpose of prayer is to have communion with your heavenly Father. And that's what it's about. And it can take off the striving and the struggling. Sometimes when we think, I have to pray, I've got to pray, I must pray for this need and I must pray for that need. It's not about that. Prayer is about fellowship. Fellowship with your heavenly Father and coming into his presence. So the life of prayer is a journey. And our life should be a journey and it should be a journey of prayer. So don't get caught up in having to, as Tim said, you know, works. And prayer can become works, all right? But enjoy, enjoy. Come to the Father and enjoy his presence in prayer and commune with him. So that's the first part, presence. So from presence, we move to position. Now, position, this is the next part of our prayer journey that we're going to be looking at this morning. Now, when you spend time in God's presence, you start to become confident about being in his presence. You become confident about who God is. And you become, start to become confident about who you are as well, as a child of God. You become firmer in your identity the more time you spend in his presence, the more time you spend in that prayer that intimate place and uh, this is where the word of God starts to become increasingly more important because as you spend that time in intimacy and as God begins to show you who you are and who he is you begin to read the word and the word will begin to reveal as well who you are and who he is And so there's a greater understanding that begins to build up. And so the Word of God starts to take a much greater emphasis in your life. And then you take that before him in prayer. Because if you don't know that God is a good God, how are you going to come to him and have intimacy with him? How are you going to know that God is good unless you first read it in the Word and the Word tells that to you? How do you know who you are in Jesus Christ unless the word of God reveal it to you and you take that to God in prayer? So position, in your journey of prayer, position is about increasing in the knowledge of who he is and increasing in the knowledge of who you are. And that begins to change the way you see yourself, the way you see other people, and the way you begin to see your ministry and what God's calling you to. There's a a Russian Orthodox saint, Theophane the Recluse. Bit of a strange name, but anyway. Uh, So he said this, To pray is to descend with the mind into the heart and there before the face of the Lord, ever present, all seeing within you. So prayer before God is to take what's in your mind to descend down into the heart and begin to commune with God. Now we've heard it spoken many times before haven't we about the difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge well this is what prayer does prayer helps to bridge the gap prayer bridges the gap between what we know and who we are and so we take when we read the word of god the word of god transforms our mind that's the purpose of the word be transformed by the renewing of your mind so we take the word of god we read it 
It begins to transform our mind. But the change is sealed in prayer. As we take what we read and what we understand and it comes down into our heart, we begin to pray and God affects the change. God affects the transformation. So our mind is renewed, but the change is solidified in our heart through prayer. Now, my children are quite comfortable with me, which is good. Um, They're quite comfortable with who I am as their dad. I'm very comfortable with who they are as my children. And, uh, and so they, they come and they're free to ask me things. They know that when they come to dad, if they're going to ask me for money, it's usually going to be no. Um, <laughs> you know, but uh, you know, but they, know, they know who I am and they're very comfortable. So they will come up to me and they'll jump all over me and things like that. Um, so they're secure in who they are. They're secure in their identity as my kids. Now, other kids don't do that. Because they're not my kids. They're not as secure with me as my own children are. And that's the way it should be. So my children are very comfortable. They'll come up to me and, uh, you know, they'll, they'll say things. In fact, sometimes they're so comfortable with me that they actually become a little too comfortable with me and they forget sometimes who I am. Um, sometimes they talk to me like uh, some of their schoolmates in the uh, schoolyard and I have to bring them up on that one and remind them that they, who I am and who they are. Um, But prayer is a relationship with God. It's a relationship with your heavenly father. And therefore, anything in our lives which is displeasing to the father becomes a hindrance to prayer. In, uh, In Psalms 66 and verse 18, The psalmist says, if I had not confessed the sins of my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Now that's that's one to think about and one to ponder. If I had not confessed my sins, then God would not have listened to me. So there are things that we can do and are resident with us that actually can hinder our relationship with God and our prayer. Over in Proverbs... 28 and verse 9 it says that God detests the prayers of a person who ignores the law so again this is something that God detests the prayers of those who ignore the law now he's talking about the Old Testament but nevertheless as we have been taught about the things of Christ you know what's in the word of God if we ignore the things that are written in the word of God God detests that in our lives and it becomes a hindrance in our prayer our prayers are no longer as effective as they used to be so there is actually a relationship between the way we conduct our life and our relationship our fellowship with the father and whether or not the father is going to answer our prayers or not in the new testament the apostle peter writes to the church and gives instruction to husbands 1 peter 3 7 says, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is an equal partner in God's gift of the new life. Treat her as you should, so that your prayers will not be hindered. So clearly, there are things that we can do in, in our lifestyle, in the way that we treat one another, that become hindrances in our prayer. 
And if they're hindrances in our prayer, they're hindrances in our relationship with God and in the intimacy of our fellowship with him. So prayer and right living go together. If you want to be more effective in your prayer, you need to remember your position. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are and who you belong to. And act in a manner which is pleasing and brings honor and glory to him. And then there won't be any hindrance to your prayer. And there won't be any hindrance in your relationship with him. Now we come to a principle. So the principle is about being under the blood. I remember um, when I was a younger Christian, uh, they used to talk about this sort of thing quite a lot. And uh, used to talk about the power of the blood and being under the blood and stuff like that. And it was something which, uh, which stuck with me. And, uh, and so I've grown up with that. And I've found there is great power in the blood. And this is a principle. This is a principle. When we pray, we come before the Lord. We come before the Lord in his grace, as has already been mentioned this morning. It is by grace that we are saved through faith it is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. It is undeserved favor. In other words, God treats us not as we deserve. He treats us as how he wants to treat us, which is his sons and his daughters. And as we do that, we come cleansed by the blood of Jesus because it's only the blood of Jesus that puts us into that position where we have that, that favor with God because as we've already seen, Sin comes between us. So the blood of Jesus covers that sin and washes it away. And this is the principle. In 1 Peter 1.2, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We stand before our Father in heaven in prayer in a position the position that allows us to stand before him is because we have been washed with the blood of Jesus. That's the only reason. It's the only reason that we're acceptable to him because Jesus' sacrifice made a way and took us from where we were outside of fellowship with God and positioned us in fellowship with him. And every time we come to him in prayer, we come on exactly that basis and no other. We stand in his righteousness because of his shed blood, not in our own works or in our own righteousness. We understand? Yeah? So the position that we have, and this is the principle, is that every time we come before God in prayer, we come on the basis that we are covered by the blood of Jesus. I want to warn you now that there are a lot of options out there today. There are a lot of spiritual options. There are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of religions that we have become aware of because we go on the internet, we find out about things. We may have come from a culture where there have been uh, other religions other than, than Christianity. But there are also a lot of uh, things which have been borrowed from other religions and pulled in to, uh, to our contemporary world that we live in. We actually live in, in an age right now where we are probably more open to spirituality than we have been for decades. But with that comes a problem. 
Because you need to be aware that there is no spirituality without the blood of Jesus. There is no legitimate way to God. There is no legitimate way into his presence unless it's through the blood of Jesus. And this is where the principle holds. So beware of any spirituality which comes to you, whether it's being packaged as Christian or whether it's not being packaged as Christian or something else. Beware of any spirituality which removes the necessity of the blood of Jesus. Because that is a false spirituality and will lead you down the wrong way. Any spirituality that you come across which acknowledges the shed blood of Jesus for your sins is okay. All right, You can be free to go with that. Why? Because it is through that that you enter into the presence of God. So, the blood of Jesus. That's the principle. The blood of Jesus now is also very powerful and is a weapon. And it's a weapon that we can use in our prayer. The Apostle Peter, in his letter, same letter that we've just read, goes on to say that we, as believers in Christ Jesus, are royal priests. Now, this is a position. All right? A royal priest is a position. Okay? Again, this is something which is yours because you are in Christ Jesus. He makes you a royal priest. Now, if you don't read the word, you're not going to know that you're a royal priest. This is why when it comes to position, the word of God becomes increasingly more important. You need to know who you are and know what your identity is. Because out of this, you now start to grab a hold of some of the, the real power that is in prayer. Now, one of the jobs of the priest was to take the blood of a sacrifice and apply that blood in various different circumstances. Now, I've done a, a message to Young at Hearts and a Transformations before about the principle of first the blood and then the oil. So some of you will understand a little bit more about that. Maybe in the future I'll preach that one on a Sunday morning. But what the priests used to do is they used to take the blood and they used to apply it. The first time we see this principle uh, of applying the blood is at the Passover meal. They took the blood of the lamb and they put it on the doorpost. They applied the blood. And we see throughout the, uh, the practice in the Old Testament, the priests used to take that blood and apply it to various, sometimes on the lobe of the year, sometimes on people, sometimes they would sprinkle it around the altar. There was different ways and different reasons why they would apply the blood. And there is great effectiveness in the blood. Because we know that the blood of Jesus saves people. We know the blood of Jesus forgives sins. We know the blood of Jesus delivers people. We know that there is no weapon that the enemy has in his arsenal which is greater than the power of the blood of Jesus. And so you as a priest, as a Christian, in that position, have a duty to actually apply the blood of Jesus with your prayers. And this is how you do it. When I, uh, there was a, a person who was a, 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 uh, closely connected with our family, uh, went through some troubles, and they started to fall away. They were Christian, they went to church and all the rest of it. Uh, anyway, they started to fall away. Their lifestyle started to, uh, started to change. They were making some really poor choices. And, um, and so... I decided I was going to start to pray for this person every day. And I just said a very simple prayer. And I just said, Lord Jesus, I just put the blood of Jesus on them. 
and I'll just cover them with your blood. That's it. That's all I said. Didn't go into great long, you know, discourse or anything like that. I just said, Jesus, I just cover them with your blood. Within one month, that person's life had changed around. They were back in church and their life has been on track ever since. Now, I've never, I never spoke to them. I never preached at them. I never did anything. All I did was take the blood of Jesus and apply it to their situation. And the blood of Jesus cut through all that the enemy was doing. There is power in the blood. Am I running out of time? I am. I'm always running out of time. I waffle too much. So very quickly, we move from the place of presence to position to power. The next place in our prayer journey is the place of power. And the power really comes out of the combination of cultivating the presence of God and being intimate with him and beginning to know and grow in our knowledge of who we are and our position in God. In James 5 and 16, he says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Now, I just want you to have a look at that passage really quickly, okay? Because it has all that we've been talking about. First of all, it's about prayer. But what do they do? They confess their sins one to another, things which hinder your relationship with God. And they apply the blood. Why? Because when forgiveness is given, the blood of Jesus Christ is applied. Then what happens? The person, a righteous person, righteousness speaks of your position in Christ, has great power and works great wonders. So we can see just in that one passage this principle of being in his presence and knowing our position and applying the blood. In Acts 9, and verses 10 to 12, and then down to 17, this is, the, this is where uh, Saul gets knocked off his horse. That's what tradition says. He actually didn't. Um, but anyway, that's one of those things that we've read into tradition. Okay? But he gets blinded by God. God appears and he gets blinded. And now we pick up the story with Ananias. He's in prayer. And he says, now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for the man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying for me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. Going on to verse 17. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hand on him and he said, Brother Saul, Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight and then he got up and was baptized. Now what happens here, you see, is you've got a man who has been spending time with God. He's been positioning himself in God. He knows God. And what's happening here is... God, through a vision, gives him an assignment. And that assignment carries with it the authority to do miraculous signs and wonders. And so through prayer, power comes, and he gets told, this is what you're going to do, and he goes out and does it. And you find, if you read throughout Acts, 
you'll find many, many times that God gives spiritual assignments to different people to go and do different things. And they all have something in common. Is they are all a company uh, with signs, wonders, and miracles. Now that's something that I know is something that we want. We want to see more of the miraculous. We want to see more of God's supernatural working, not only just in our lives, but through our lives. We want to be the kind of Christians who are on assignment to actually go and make a difference in our world, to actually go and change and transform people's lives. And that happens because first, we've spent time in his presence. We spend time cultivating an intimacy with our Heavenly Father through prayer. Through prayer, we've read the Word and we've established uh, who we are and our identity in Christ. And we grow, we, we always grow in that. It's not something you have to, you become. It's something that always is happening. We're always growing in that. And then God, out of that, begins to give us assignments to do. I wonder if the team can come back up now the worship team they are there they were all camping now they probably thought I was going to go on for another half an hour <laughs> which I can do I've got a uh, I've got a story which uh, which just shows one assignment which the Lord gave me uh This was uh, in spiritual warfare. Um, spiritual warfare is just another facet of prayer, um, but again, it is—it's all enacted by uh, by prayer. And uh, I'll keep this one really short because we've run out of time. I'll expand it next meeting, so you can come back. Um, We—I uh, was living in in Cypress Street, and long story short. The, uh, the house next door, the guy who owned the house uh, used to live uh, or used to work away and he rented out his rooms to people and uh, as what normally happens when the cat's away, the mice play and they were uh, quite a number of rowdy parties that used to go on and I was talking to one of the people who lived in the units just in front of ours whose bedroom window backed onto the house and this guy was really really disturbed and spoke to me about the fact that they were actually having orgies outside in full view and plain view of everybody uh, to the point where he no longer wanted to sleep in his bedroom and uh, I got really incensed about this because you know I got young children I don't want them seeing that sort of thing and I got indignant about the fact that this sort of thing was happening in my street in my neighborhood next door to my house where I'm living so I decided to take it up in prayer and I decided to to war in prayer. Now, normally when we pray uh, and we come across the work of the enemy, you know, we will bind what the enemy is doing uh, and things like that. And we act like a policeman. Okay, we just arrest what's going on and we, we send the enemy packing. All right, this was different. This wasn't acting like a policeman. This was acting more like a field commander. And it was totally different. And I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just being led by the Spirit of God. And so I got up early in the morning while Becky and the kids were still in bed. And I went down to stairs into my front room. And I started to praise. I started to worship God. And I started to call on the name of Jesus. And as I began to become aware of his presence, I realized that I needed to have angelic help. 
And so I asked the Lord if he would send the angels to help in this particular assignment. And as I began to continue, I just paced up and down the front room and I was worshipping and declaring the sovereignty of Christ, declaring what the Word of God says. I could feel the presence of angels. I could feel them coming and I could feel their numbers increasing and that they were beginning to worship with me. And as I was pacing up and down and feeling this, and there was, a, there was just this incredible sense of power that came along with that. And the only thing I can describe it is I felt like a lion that was roaring before its prey. I just felt that just so much power surging through me that, that I could defeat an army. And that's exactly what we were actually doing. All right. But I felt the presence of the angels with me. But at one distinct point, I felt that I needed to give the command. And so what I did is I just bound up what the enemy was doing. I applied the blood of Jesus and I released the angels to go and do what they needed to do. And then I went and had my breakfast and went to work. Now, I knew in my spirit that the work had been done. I just knew that I knew that I knew that God had been with me and that my prayers had been answered. I didn't need to pray anymore because I already knew the outcome. What did surprise me, though, was the speed of the outcome. Because the following day, as I drove back home from work, I looked out and I looked next door and hammered into the ground was a for sale sign. 24 hours. 24 hours is all it took. And we never had another issue with parties again. So those, that's an assignment. So we've moved from intimacy with God, from presence to position to power. And if you want those assignments, if you want to be the kind of Christian that moves in powerful prayer assignments, then you need to do and attend to the first two things first. Why don't we pray? Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.